As we begin the season of Lent on the podcast, we're going to be talking about what it means to give up all the other ways that we're going in our lives and return to God and His path for us. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela. Welcome to Table Talk with Mike and Angela, a weekly conversation focused on helping you understand more about the Bible, faith, and what it means to live a faithful life. And now, here are your hosts, Pastors Mike Holly and Angela Martin. Well, today is Ash Wednesday. It's the beginning of Lent. And Angela, as we were preparing for uh, this Lent in this new year, you had suggested uh, that we do this study by Walter Brueggemann, which, you know, it's, it's a beautiful study. It's a series of daily devotions. And, you know, it, it really is focused on helping us find our way again with God. In fact, uh, on the back of the book, which is, uh, is called A Way Other Than Our Own, it says this, and I think it's a perfect lead-in to what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks. It says, Lent recalls times of wilderness and wandering from newly freed Hebrew slaves in exile to the temptation of Jesus in the desert. God has always called people out of their safe walled cities into uncomfortable places, revealing paths that they would never have chosen. Despite our culture of self-indulgence, we too are called to walk an alternative path, one of humility, justice, and peace. It's the framework uh, of the overall devotions uh, that is sort of summed up here on the back of the book that I have found so intriguing for this Lenten journey. You know, as we begin today on Ash Wednesday, as we start this 40-day journey of Lent, you know, I really think uh, that it is time for us to remind ourselves about the way of Jesus and how this is, you know, the path that we need to be walking. And and it is really not the way that Lent should be that we you know, realize that we've gone in the wrong direction and that we've got to, you know, go back to the path of Jesus. I mean, obviously that's what it is and that's what it's become, but we should be walking that path all the time. Um, You know, Lent has become a time of wilderness wanderings to snap us out of our sinfulness and our tendency to drift away from God's path. Instead of using it as a recentering time, as a time to remind ourselves as to why we do these things, it's almost like we need to be retooled and, and sort of snapped out of the ways in which we have gone astray. And Lent is a way, uh, in the church at least, to do this. Because we are prone to wander, like the hymn says, we need to remember that this, this life as a, as a Christian is a way of following God and God's path, not our own ways. So today, we begin a Lenten journey with Walter Brueggemann through his book, A Way Other Than Our Own. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't help but think about uh, that uh, saying or whatever you want to call it that, that your wife, Julie, likes to say sometimes, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh, yes. <laughs> I kind of think of, of our Lenten journey as kind of that recheck, you know, like, okay, how am I doing? Um, how, how far off have I have I gotten? or how hard do I need to work to, to get back onto this road that is not my own, uh, but the one that God calls us to? 
So Brueggemann uh, sets us up, I think, really in a lovely way. He gives us uh, a great posture with which to approach Lent. He begins with his Ash Wednesday devotional, and he uses the scripture from Isaiah, Isaiah 55, 6 and 7, which says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And so we hear in that, you know, that it's a call to worship, certainly, uh, a call to repentance, uh, and uh, a call to a way that is not our own. Mm. Um, But, you know, it also gives us this picture of who God is. Um, The face of God shown here is of a Lord that is is near at hand, near to us, ready to forgive, uh, a God of grace. But this is a God to whom a turn must be made, you know, a God of demand. But I love the way that that Brueggemann puts it. He says, a God of demand, ready to be a God of grace. You know, so not just hard demand, not just easy grace, but grace and demand the way all serious relationships work. And isn't that beautiful? This Mm -hmm. understanding of you know, I'm going to demand a lot, but I'm also going to be with you. Yes. And I'm going to forgive you for the failings that you make in the direction of living up to the demands. Um, you know, this, this, this idea of, of a God of demand and, and a God of grace is summed up in the identity of God as a covenant God. That You know, God will be our God and we will be his people and we'll walk in his ways and he will, you know, bring us into this promised land and a place of blessing. And of course, you know, on the other side of history, we know that there was this unfortunate episode in which this word from Isaiah comes from. It speaks from this place in history where God's people did not live up to their the bargain. They, you know, sort of forgot the importance of the demands of God, and they found themselves in exile in Babylon. Isaiah 55 actually is written from a place of real hope. I mean, Isaiah is writing, we think, in a time of exile in Babylon. You know, there's many different sections of Isaiah. There's 1st Isaiah, there's 2nd Isaiah, and 3rd Isaiah. And, you know, the dividing line, we think, between 2nd Isaiah and 3rd Isaiah is where we are. Chapter 55 seems to be the very last chapter of 2nd Isaiah. And it is the last chapter in a sense, written from that perspective of being in exile and, and knowing and sensing that God was up to something and that they might be able to return home. And third Isaiah, starting in chapter 56, seems to be written from that perspective of either going home or already home and sort of making sense of what it means now for the people of God to return to the demands of God and to live as his faithful people. And so as, as Isaiah is writing this, he is, he's talking about this understanding that God is ready to forgive. God is ready to work with you, but you've got to make a change. You've got to turn. You need to remember that this is the time for God to act in the most amazing ways, but there's still a demand that we put our faith into action. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, well, and and we are given the recipe, right, of how to come back, right? Uh, We have these four verbs that are there in this passage of Scripture, seek, call, forsake, and return, uh, that are the imperatives, right, the things that we must do to find our way back. And as you said, uh, this passage of Scripture addressed concerns for uh, the Jewish people who were too eager to become Babylonians while in exile, too uh, easy to compromise Jewish identity and Jewish faith, Jewish discipline. Uh, they wanted to, to get along, right? Uh, go along to get along in the Babylonian Empire that had faith in other gods and, and other disciplines. Uh, and yet God gave them a way to come back. Uh, we had those four verbs, seek the Lord, call upon him, let the wicked forsake their way, let them return to the Lord. And so as Lent begins, I think this is a good way to begin thinking about our our own personal relationship with God and where we are. But I also think we can think about it in the larger sense. You know, um, church in the United States, of course, membership, as well, especially during this time of pandemic, of course, it, it's off. But even before the pandemic, membership was falling off. Attendance was falling off. And so maybe during this season of Lent, we could ask ourselves, is this what has affected the church? Um, have we given up on the faith and discipline of our Christian baptism, you know, our, our original identity? Have we been seduced? Uh, by things like patriotism and consumerism and power and affluence and, and all those things that can seduce us. Yeah, and, and, and that's certainly, you know, the possibility that we face, and maybe it's several things or maybe it's one or the other. But yes, I mean, we, we need to look at ourselves and our relationship with God and others and say, is this the best is, that we want? Is Is this the kind of life we want to live? And you know, if we want to keep going in these directions, what will really happen in our lives? Will they get better? Uh, if so, how? Because <laughs> it's not happening now. Uh, so, you know, in a way, it's it, it's almost like there's this this moment of realizing that things are off kilter. They're 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 not in harmony. And you know, it, if we just stopped and thought about it, maybe we might understand that that there is a root to all this and the root could be within our own spiritual health, our own life and its direction, the habits that we have, the practices that we have, if they're not formed correctly, you know, that could be part of the problem. You know, I I think about it that sometimes what we end up doing like the Israelites, it seems in Babylon is going the path of least resistance, Mm -hmm. right? And sometimes that starts in a really good place of, I want to be at peace. I don't want to be in right. conflict, right? right. <laughs> and I know that there are many times in the New Testament where Paul says we need to be at peace with one another and have the same mind and all this. But, you know, at the same time, it seems that Isaiah is very clear that they need to retain their identity. They need to make sure that they're on the path that God has set before them. And so sometimes that does lead to conflict. Uh, that does mean that we will have to uh, struggle in some ways. But it seems like, you know, they have, in a way, sort of been seduced or enamored by this, you know, 
uh, peaceableness of blending in rather than standing out. Um, and, and I think that sometimes that's what Christians today face. You know, we begin following these paths of least resistance so that we'll fit in, uh, so that we won't stand out, so that we will uh, have an easier life, we think at least at first. But we run the risk of allowing these things um, to become a path away from God. Or even worse, they become idols in themselves without realizing it. You know, a seemingly good path can become a bad path <laughs> until we get far enough down it that we realize, oh, we have made a wrong turn. <laughs> so, you know, Isaiah speaks to the people in exile about God's bent towards mercy and forgiveness. Uh, and in a sense, is saying, it's not too late to turn around. It's not too, you're not too far away to get back into the identity of your faith and in the way of God, because he's, he's about to do something. And you want to be a part of it. You don't want to be left behind in, in uh, Babylon when we return. You know, sometimes we can become seduced or enamored with this way of self-preservation, right? Um, turning our backs upon God or others, or even turning our backs on what we know is right just to save ourselves. And Isaiah and Lent seem to be reminding us that embracing the identity and the direction that God provides to us is of the utmost importance. If we want to have harmony within our lives, if we want to have a good foundation, these are important things that need to be taken care of. Yeah, and thank goodness that God does give us a way back and that it, it's not ever too late to, to turn around uh, and go that different direction. Uh, but it's not always easy to do that. You know, the, the journey to reengage our identity of faith can be somewhat risky and hazardous. Um, I think we always think about Abraham and, and Sarah uh, and the way that God called them to a, a rather difficult journey. Um, they had no clue of their destination, only to be led to a place that God would show them. Uh, but they had that kind of faith to allow God to bring them to what they believed would be a good place, a better place. Uh, and so, you know, perhaps we can imagine our destination to be the neighborhood of Shalom, mm. as Brueggemann says. Uh, and Shalom is peace, but it's not just a peace that's absence of chaos and difficulty. Shalom goes much deeper than that. Uh, it means harmony and wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, uh, tranquility. And so if we come to this neighborhood of Shalom, then we're going to be in a neighborhood of shared resources and inclusive politics, of random acts of hospitality and intentional acts of justice. And I love how he says this, a fearless neighborliness. <laughs> I want to live into that. Fearless neighborliness that is, that's not propelled by greed or anxiety or excessive self-preoccupation. And he lifts up a verse out of Psalm 121 that I think is designed to help us risky travelers. Uh, and that's the, the 
a verse that's very familiar to all of us, our, that our help comes from the Lord. Mm. Our help and our companionship comes from the Lord. We're not on this journey alone. Um, but it can feel like that sometimes, I think. Uh, and, uh, of course, a risky and hazardous journey means sometimes that we can be prone to worry and anxiety, especially if we're feeling alone and all of that. Uh, and then sometimes those feelings can kind of snowball on themselves, and they can lead to a stance of defensiveness and fear, uh, a determination to kind of hold on to, to what we have because we're afraid of, of letting go of what will come after we let go of what we have and what we know. Uh, but Jesus asked a question in the sixth chapter of Matthew. He says, which of you, by being anxious, has ever added an inch to your lives? I have a magnet in my office on my filing cabinet that says, worry is like a rocking chair. It will give you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. And <laughs> sometimes I think that's uh, we can stay really busy worrying about things, uh, but we want to get somewhere, right, uh, in our discipleship. But how do we do that? Well, Jesus suggests that we seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And uh, when we do that, you know, uh, we're getting our mind off of ourselves, right? We're, um, we're getting our mind off of ourselves long enough to care about somebody else, uh, to be concerned about the well-being of the human community. Uh, and then when we do that, we don't have to worry about our place, you know, uh, our church, our class, you know, what class we belong in, um, our values or what our vested interests are. When we take our mind off of ourselves and worry about others and our community, then we are less prone to worry and anxiety and fear. And just thinking about what we have and what we don't want to give up. How great is that magnet? <laughs> I love that magnet. <laughs> like a rocking chair. Uh, yeah. A lot of, lot of work, a lot of steps, <laughs> you know, doesn't really get you anywhere, yeah. but we're supposed to be going somewhere. And, you know, I, I love what you said that, you know, we need to get our minds off of ourselves long enough to care. And, you know, we, we get so wrapped up in worry and anxiety and, you know, is, should I have done this? Should I have done that? What if this happens? What if that happens? And, you know, in, in a sense, it's not a bad thing to worry and to, to think about, you know, what we could have done better for the sake of taking the next step. But you're right. It, Jesus is right. You know, it doesn't really add anything if we get stuck in that cycle mm. of thinking about ourselves and worrying and whew, it just becomes, <laughs> you know, like a um, a recycling program. It just gets, uh, you know, used over and over and over again. So, you know, I, I, I think that listeners will remember that, you know, we've talked before about this idea from St. Augustine of sinfulness that, you know, when, when he describes sinfulness in his book of confessions, he talks about how, you know, it's a, it's a posture of being curved in, in curvatus in sea, curved in upon yourselves. You're bent away from God and you're bent away from others you only care about your own needs or your own wants or your own issues or desires. And all of a sudden you find yourself alone, you know, cut off from others. And you've gone on this path that has 
led you in a spiral into nothingness instead of a, a path forward into somethingness. You know, Brueggemann covers uh, another episode in the, the Old Testament in one of his other devotionals uh, later in the week uh, from the book of Exodus. It's Exodus 33, verse 10, and it says this, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you the name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I show mercy. You know, Exodus, God reminds Moses and, you know, us by the way of Moses that he's good and he's gracious. He's wonderful. You know, Brueggemann says that God is assuring and affirming and generous and kind. God is all these things, you know, we, and we know this. God is the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. He loves us. He cares for us. He cre- Anyway, all of this is true. At the same time, God becomes upset with Moses and the people because they are not taking seriously his demands and his call to be his people. You know, they're sort of going on that path of least resistance. And, and so what ends up happening uh, is that Moses tries to bargain with God, knowing that he's good and gracious and merciful, and he's just a, a wonderful God. And, you know, Moses is trying to basically, you know, change the terms to say, well, you're going to forgive us. You know, I, I'm reminded of, of, of Paul's conversations in some of his letters saying, you know, if God's going to forgive us from sin, should we just keep on sinning? And he says, no, <laughs> absolutely not. You know, it, it's, it's, it's this idea that God really is at work with Moses and the people. God is merciful and gracious, and he's going to continue to be their God. But there's this catch. God speaks and underscores that everything will go the way God wants it to. You know, Moses and the people cannot, you know, uh, renegotiate the terms <laughs> of how this is going to go. God is going to continue to ask them to do uh, what he wants them to do and uphold their part of the covenant. You know, it's, it's this understanding that God is gracious towards those whom God wants to be gracious to. God is merciful towards those whom God wants to have mercy on. It's all on God's terms and not on our terms. We can try to worry ourselves into changing God. We can try, you know, begging and pleading. We can try all these different things. But at the end of it, it's still about what God wants for us and from us. Um, we should be people of faith who live on God's terms and not trying to always negotiate with God to make it our way. We, like Moses, have to decide, you know, will we walk into the future on our terms or will we work, walk into the future on a way other than our own, on God's terms, knowing that God has good intentions for us? You know, it's not like God is out to get us or trap us or trick us. He's a God of mercy and goodness and kindness and all those things, we just have to trust, we have to trust that his way for us is worth it. Well, it, God is always there and God is always speaking to us, you know, and giving us direction uh, if we will listen. And, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's not just a matter of listening, but taking in what's going on around you and, and being affirmed in the the decisions that you make and, and knowing that that is the way that God is leading you. And so we always have God's voice of, of assurance in our ear, but there's also this, 
another hazard on our journey is that we have the second voice that competes with God's voice. You know, we think about the angel and devil on our shoulders, right, whispering in our ear. Uh, but this second voice mocks and, and seduces and, and tempts us to believe things and to walk in a way that we should not. Uh, this second voice calls us away from the things that God would have us give our attention to and beckons us to this, you know, the, all those self-serving ways that we spoke of while ago. Um, we think about Jesus' own experience in the wilderness. And we remember that three times he was tempted by this second voice uh, to depart from God's ways and God's teaching. And three times Jesus has to assert God's promises and God's instruction. And so the question is the same for us. You know, will we follow the voice of promise or the voice of seduction? We have this voice of God that bids us to trust, like Abraham and Sarah trusted that he would lead them to a better place. And we have this voice of the evil one, you know, to take matters into our own hands, to go the way that we know that's easy, that's familiar sometimes. Um, and, and I think the summons of, of the Lenten season is to bear new fruit by working to be in sync with the God of the Gospels. And the summons of, of this second voice of evil, really, is to do whatever feels right, even if it brings us pain in the end. And hopefully, the truth of the gospel can compel us to decide about the things that that make God unhappy and the things that make God happy. And uh, because God is God, there are habits of death and there are habits of life. And of course, we always want to choose those things that give life and bring life. And so when when we're talking about this way other than our own, what you've reminded us, it is, it's not just about the direction but it's also about how we walk on the path and what habits and practices that, you know, we're participating in. Because we can go to church all the time but have bad habits and may, may not always, you know, find ourselves doing the right thing. So it's not just about our direction. and It's also about these habits and practices. Because sometimes habits and practices can keep us stuck on the wrong path even though we want to get off of it. Ash Wednesday kicks off Lent in a sense with a promise that there are roads that lead to nothing but dust. Um, and that's not what we want to be on. Even though we can avoid our own mortality in the end, there is a better path that leads to something more than life, uh, something that leads to God himself. You know, it's, it's important to stop and think during the season of Lent about our direction but it's equally as important to think about, you know, how we're living and, and what we're doing. And are these activities or thoughts or practices that are bringing life or blessing to others? Or are they really just about feeding my own wants and needs and desires? This is why people, you know, focus on taking things up or giving things up uh, for Lent. You know, this, this practice is about sort of untangling us from whatever habits and practices have mired us in the wrong path. If we're not heading in the right direction, it's time for us to reconsider 
where we're going and who we're going with, who we're following. But if we're mired in these selfish or harmful practices, it's also important for us to think about how do we give them up? You know, how do we let, uh, take away the power that they have over our lives? And, you know, Lent is a 40-day journey. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about uh, in, in Lent before is this idea, idea that if we're giving something up, you know, give it up for the 40 days of Lent. It does mean, you know, here's the catch, that you can do it on Sundays because Sunday is a feast day. You're not supposed to fast. You're not supposed to, you know, be giving things up. You're supposed to be celebrating. And I, I, I know I've told the story before, but, you know, I've known somebody who gave up chocolate for, for Lent. And so they were, you know, fasting from chocolate for six days. And then the seventh day, it was, I'm going to make myself sick because I'm going to eat so much chocolate. Chocolate, you know, one of those giant rabbit bunny right. chocolate things that, you know, yes. only are given to children, uh, <laughs> you know. And, and so, you know, we give these things up. We can still, um, you know, do a soft indulgence on, on a feast day as long as we're doing it in honor of God. But the idea is that we're giving these things up to take the power away from them and to remind ourselves that that there's a better way. There are better practices. There are things, uh, of course, that will build and construct a better life. I know of people recently who have given up social media uh, for Lent because they, they, they don't realize it until much, much later, but they get sort of stuck in these um, either pathways of comparing their lives to others and feeling less grateful for who they have and what they have in their lives, or they get kind of, you know, depressed and, and seeing sort of the worst of humanity displayed in the comments section. And, you know, they want to believe and have hope. Uh, they want to be around Christians that, you know, are in the process of building up people instead of tearing them down. And so they give up social media to focus on being, you know, right there with real people and connecting face to face and building emotional bridges instead of just, you know, uh, acquaintance comments and uh, other ways of just sort of checking in on people or even spying in on people, <laughs> observing people. You know, Who would do that? Yeah, no, no. You know, Lent is not just about, you know, what direction we're heading on, but what are the practices, what are the habits that are going to help us stay on the path, remain on the path? Uh, what habits and practices will help us construct a good and beautiful life and will help keep us on the way that God has for us? Yeah, well, Brueggemann list. Uh, three things, three main things, I guess, that that can get in the way of our choosing habits of life. Uh, and, and maybe we can look at these as um, questions for ourselves during the season of Lent. Uh, the first one is leaning on our own wisdom. And so perhaps the question for us would be, do we trust in ourselves too much instead of seeking God's guidance and help uh, letting God help us discern the way. Uh, the second one is seeking wealth. And there's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to have enough. Uh, but is that seeking wealth getting in the way of your relationship with God? Is it coming from a place of greed? Or is it coming from a place that you not only want to take care of you and yours, but you want to help others as well? Uh, and then the third is seeking power. Uh, are, are your actions just focused to lift yourself up in some way? Seek 
power. Uh, we remember uh, the scripture in 1 Corinthians, first chapter. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to reduce nothing, things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. In other words, we get in our own way by choosing those things that we think will bring us life instead of choosing the things that God says will bring life. And so this is a, a season for us, as you've mentioned, to focus on practicing habits of life. And if, if you um, feel stuck, uh, if you feel like you are being drawn or seduced by these uh, habits that, you know, lead us away from, from habits of life, like Angela mentioned from, from Brueggemann, you know, leaning on our own wisdom, seeking wealth or seeking power. Uh, if you're, you know, dealing with habits that are just draining life from you or keeping you sort of mired in a place of life where, where you don't want to stay, this, this Lenten journey is for you. Uh, this is an opportunity for you to allow God to remake you. Uh, and, you know, we started off this podcast with the instructions, you know, the four verbs. We're supposed to seek the Lord, call upon him. We're supposed to, of course, you know, forsake. Um, the, the wicked ways that we or others have participated in. And then we got to return, return to God. Seek and call upon God, forsake and return. These are things that we need to be, you know, doing during the season of Lent. This is a time for us to remember that God is a God of mercy and love and forgiveness. He's going to walk with us through this journey of untangling our lives from wrong directions. But he also wants us to remember that he's got a way for us that is better than anything that we can find on our own. Uh, and he wants us to walk that way. He's a loving parent who wants us to do that. We just have to remember to trust in him. You know, we're going to be talking a lot about this theme over the next few weeks as we continue through this season of Lent and helping ourselves remind, uh, be reminded of, of who God is and what God is, you know, pushing us toward uh, in his path towards life and love. Uh, so I hope that you'll join us, uh, continue to join us for this, this podcast here, Table Talk with Mike and Angela. We're going to, um, you know, continue for the season of Lent with this. And so we hope you subscribe uh, to this podcast uh, to find uh, more ways to engage with some of the things we've done in the past and to join us next week as we continue to explore how Lent can repair our lives and help us move forward in the journey towards God. We thank you for being here and we look forward to seeing you next week.